Hi, uh, our Bible reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it can be found on page 1163. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe, severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich gener generosity. For I testify that they gave, us, they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of the sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your grace, on, on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete er earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you now know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And now he's on chapter 9, verse 6 to the end. Generosity encouraged. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever, and whoever sows generously will also reap, reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good works, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generos generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you.
Thanks be to God for his in incredible gift. Thank you. That was brilliant. Will you join me please in uh, praying as we ask that God will speak to us uh, through his word. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. Let's pray together. Father, we've been singing this morning that our God is a generous God. And we pray that as we look at your word now together, that you would speak to us and teach us your ways, especially, Lord, in the area of giving. Pray, Lord, that you will please meet with us in your word and change our hearts and transform us so that we become increasingly generous givers. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Talking about money can be awkward. Uh, the property site Zoopla has a whole series of TV ads that I think brilliantly capture the discomfort that many of us feel. Uh, my favourite is Nana's Cottage. Uh, if you've never seen it, it is quite funny and definitely worth a watch on YouTube. Uh, a man takes his fiancée to visit his grandma, who's uh, delighted to meet the girl that she's heard so much about over, over the time. The girl is clearly trying to impress. My, what an amazing home you have. So far, so good. All smiles, until the girl makes the mistake of thinking out loud, I wonder what it's worth. But immediately regrets it as Nana turns and stares. Oh, not that you'd sell it. I just mean, it will fetch a good price when you... Nana now glares, boyfriend shakes his head, and then with impeccable timing comes the voiceover. Oh dear, if you want to know, just ask Zoopla. Well, we won't do a show of hands as to how many of us have asked Zoopla about the value of a neighbor's house, perhaps, or a relative's property in anticipation of a future inheritance. But if you want to know about the value, importance, and indeed joy of Christian giving, just ask the Apostle Paul. Because here in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, he writes plainly with no sense of discomfort or awkwardness at all. And he urges Christians, notice chapter 8, end of verse 7, to excel in this grace of giving. And there's something I find really interesting in the New Testament's clearest and most extensive teaching on giving. There's no mention of specific sums of money, no talk of percentages. There's not even anything about the Old Testament law of tithing, that practice of setting aside 10% of our income for God's work. No, the dominant note in these chapters is one of Christian generosity and of our attitude to giving. Paul's key concern here, as elsewhere in this letter, is what is going on in our hearts. Chapter 9, verse 7, gives a helpful, helpful summary of his teaching. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Brothers and sisters, if you remember one thing today on what we've designated Giving Sunday, along with everything else, let it be this. Much more than your money... God wants your heart, and he wants my heart. By heart, the Bible means my inner being, the command and control center of my life. So not my ticker, but what makes me tick. And the key to being the kind of generous, cheerful giver God loves is to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to transform my heart, 
And so that's what I've been praying for myself and for all of us as I've been studying and preparing to preach this passage for heart transformation. Now I'm going to try and cover this morning in 25 minutes both chapters. Uh, You don't look too convinced and I'm not sure I am either, but I'm going to give it a go because I think it will really help us to get a bird's eye view of Paul's teaching rather than just zooming in on one particular section. So here then, drawn from chapters 8 to 9, are four timeless truths about the nature of generous giving. First, from chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, generous giving is a supernatural grace. Generous giving is a supernatural grace. Uh, Before we dive in, a little bit of background will be helpful. I think around 10 years before Paul writes this letter, there had been a devastating famine in Jerusalem and Judea, which had hit the Jewish believers there really hard, made worse by the fact they were also being persecuted. So in response, an appeal was launched among the Gentile churches to raise funds to alleviate the suffering of the brothers and sisters in Christ. It would be a little bit like if we were to launch an appeal to help fellow Christians in the areas of Syria and Turkey, uh, devastated by recent earthquakes. Paul initially writes about what he calls this collection for the Lord's people back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, The Corinthians had wanted to contribute and they'd pledged a generous gift, but as yet, they've not followed through. And so that's why Paul now turns in this letter to the matter of giving, because he wants to urge and encourage and motivate them to do what they had promised by sharing generously with their brothers and sisters in need. And notice how Paul sets before them as an example to follow the Macedonian churches. And that's the churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea in northern Greece, which seem unlikely models. Because look at what he writes in verse 2 of chapter 8. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. It's fascinating. Because Paul could have stirred the Corinthians to action using the example of any number of wealthy believers, like those, for example, in Acts 4, who sell land and properties, laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet to distribute to those who are in need. That's an important reminder, by the way, that we should never despise Christians to whom God entrusts great wealth, along with the grace of giving. But here, Paul doesn't use them as an example. Instead, he provides as a model people who gave while going through a very severe trial, in extreme poverty, and even beyond their ability. So this is people, I don't know, on a student grant, state pension, universal credit, minimum wage, children who get pocket money, people struggling with the cost of living, but welling up in rich generosity. More than that, notice they're not giving reluctantly or out of any sense of duty. They're not even waiting for the offering bucket to come round on a Sunday or an announcement in the weekly email. No, end of verse 3, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. What on earth moves people to give like that? I mean, this is not normal human behavior, is it? Imagine you walk out of Above Bar Church this morning and you're walking down Above Bar and one of the homeless men or women runs up to you with a great smile and says, look, I don't have much, but someone bought me this sandwich earlier and someone else gave me this pound corner. I'd love you to have, could I share that with you? I'd love to help you. Seems unlikely, but so is this picture Paul paints. Joy overflowing from a severe trial, rich generosity welling up out of extreme poverty, People giving even beyond their ability. In fact, begging for the privilege of sharing their hard-earned resources with their fellow believers in need. How do we explain that? 
The answer is grace. That word comes ten times in these two chapters. It's the Greek word charis from which we get our English word charismatic. Now, it's partially hidden in our NIV translation because the word is mostly translated grace, but it's sometimes translated privilege or thanks. But it's the exact same word in the original language. Generous, joyful giving is a supernatural grace of God. And it ought to be the supernatural, ever-increasing response to the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus that has been lavished on each one of us here, trusting in Him for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So look with me, please, at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The good news about Jesus Christ. How rich was He? Rich beyond all measure, the maker and sustainer of the whole universe. All things created through him and for him. Every planet, every star, every mountain, every tree, every human being, every animal. Psalm 50 verse 10, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. From all eternity, one with the Father, dwelling before the creation of the world in the glorious splendor and infinite riches of his heavenly kingdom. And yet for your sake and for my sake, he became poor. He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. How poor did he become? So poor they cast lots for his undergarment, left the king of heaven naked. And being found in appearance as a man, we're told he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So poor that he subjected himself to the humiliation of a criminal's execution to pay the price for your and my rebellion against God, our rejection of his loving rule over our lives, so that through his poverty, you and I might become rich, inheriting eternal life and every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's the most extravagant exchange imaginable. Well, we need to keep moving. But note finally from this first section, the goal of this supernatural grace of generous giving is verse 13, not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. And to make the point that this is all supernaturally and wonderfully directed by the Spirit of God, who knows everybody's means and needs, Paul quotes from Exodus 16, verse 18, God's miraculous provision of manna for his people while they were wandering in the wilderness. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Flawless divine distribution. Uh, like others here, I've had times in my Christian life when I've been hard-pressed and richly blessed by others generously supplying what I've needed for a season. Uh, the most significant was 15 years ago. Uh, I was signed off my role then as a pastor with anxiety and depression. Eventually stepped down. Didn't really have a clue where I was going to live after that when I was asked eventually to move out of my church flat. But then one couple stepped forward and offered that I could live with them rent-free for as long as was needed. They even offered to convert their loft space for me so that I could have my own space in their home. They may have been wanting to preserve their own space in their own home, but I took it much more positively than that. <laughs> but you see, that is the grace of giving. 
And I'm sure many of you, you have your own stories of God's wonderful provision through fellow believers. Wouldn't it be amazing if Above Bar Church becomes the kind of church where every one of us is involved in this grace of giving and receiving so that everybody's needs are joyfully supplied. Sometimes I supply, other times I receive. But all directed by the Holy Spirit, so there's equality. So that as it was said of the early church, there are no needy people among us. No one with too much, no one with too little. And then imagine that flowing out into our city and into our places of work and into our neighborhoods. That, I suggest, would make people sit up and think about the grace of our Lord Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, well, this all sounds very radical, reckless, somewhat communist even, all this talk of financial equality. And it is important that we hear the second timeless truth from chapter 8, verse 16 to chapter 9, verse 5, which is that generous giving must be administered wisely. Generous giving must be administered wisely. Uh, we can't stop long here, but let's quickly note that the generous giving Paul is urging is in no way haphazard, unwise, random, or ill thought through. Uh, so notice that Titus, a respected elder, is verse 19, chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself. Then verse 20, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. And then chapter 9, verse 5, notice Paul writes of the need to finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Administer to honor the Lord, avoid any criticism, take pains to do what is right, finish the arrangements. It all speaks of order and care, doesn't it? Remember, giving is a supernatural grace, so we would expect it to have all the hallmarks of God's wisdom and planning and sovereign control. He's the financial planner supreme. So yes, giving is to be liberal. It's an overflow of the grace of God, but it still needs to be wisely administered and indeed audited because churches have financial scandals too. A number of years ago, I was invited to speak at a large Pentecostal church in the Midlands with a huge budget. And I remember over, over dinner with one of the elders and his wife just asking them, uh, how are things going at the church? And I will never forget the look of sorrow and, and real shock and sadness on their faces. They explained to me that they had very recently discovered that one of their elders had been caught siphoning off funds from the church, hundreds of thousands of pounds over a number of years. Only this week, I was reading that Hillsong Church has just announced a financial review following accusations of extravagant spending by its leaders. And so in case any of you are thinking, well, Jonathan, isn't this, you know, this is a, you've got a vested interest in this, haven't you? You're a paid member of the staff team. I think I should stress that if by some miracle of grace, uh, giving to above bar were to double overnight, wouldn't that be amazing? But that does not mean that next time I preach, I turn up wearing a Rolex or designer shoes, okay? Just to be absolutely clear on that, you won't find a photo of me on the Prophets and Watches or the Preachers and Sneakers Instagram accounts, which tragically do actually exist. You can check them out. Nor will our minister Chris Webb be trading in his bicycle for a Ferrari. That's simply not how it works in this church. So please be encouraged and assured. See, we have a treasurer and we have trustees who set salaries, who are accountable to church members and accountable indeed to the charity commission. More likely, I suggest, a doubling of income at above bar could lead to a 
doubling of our ministries and mission partners and outreach to more staff appointments, maybe a whole team of paid apprentices to train up as future leaders who can help carry the load. Or let's allow ourselves to dream for a moment. Maybe a minister for internationals or a minister for evangelism or a minister for the homeless or a minister for missions. We've heard about mission this morning. Or a whole host of other appointments or projects to which the Holy Spirit may lead us and inspire us to support with generous, cheerful, wisely administered giving so that the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus rings out from here into Southampton and beyond and around the world, into world A, that world that doesn't have the the gospel, doesn't have the possibility of hearing the gospel mostly. Generous giving is a supernatural grace. It must be administered wisely. And then thirdly, chapter 9, verses 6 to 11, generous giving is resourced by God. Generous giving is resourced by God. Remember this, writes Paul, chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I am not an expert at growing things. I don't have a garden, and I'm not blessed with the gift of keeping plants alive. If you want to know uh, for sure, ask my family. Uh, my, my youngest nephew, Daniel, actually gave me a tiny little money plant at Christmas, and uh, my family sent me the challenge of trying to keep that alive for a whole year. Uh, it did not start well, because on the way home, uh, the money plant fell over in the passenger seat, soil, money plant, all over the passenger seat. Uh, but with a little help of a vac and some careful replanting, I'm pleased to tell you its condition is currently critical but stable. <laughs> but despite my lack of green fingers, even I know the principles of sowing and reaping. Imagine a farmer who, in an attempt to save money, decides not to plant wheat seed liberally and uniformly using his John Deere 750A pneumatic seed drill, but instead he casually ambles around his field, throwing a little bit of seed there, a little bit of seed there. At harvest time, his crop is going to look pretty pathetic, really, isn't it? Well, as with farming, so with giving. If my attitude to giving is to thoughtlessly throw in my loose change or see what I've got left over after paying all my bills, doing all the fun things I want to do with my money, or if I grudgingly give a percentage or a fixed sum every month because I think that's what Christians ought to do, and by the way, that's exactly how I used to give for much of my Christian life, for, for more than I'd care to admit to, actually. But if that is my attitude to giving, I should not expect to yield much of a crop. And I'll miss out on the overflowing joy that comes from a liberal, generous approach to giving. If, on the other hand, I decide in my heart to go all in with my giving, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully, verse 7, as a response to the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, if I decide to give beyond my ability, to give to the work of the church and to missions and to the, the needy as my first priority, before anything else, well, look with me at the staggering promise in verse 8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That is a verse to meditate on, chew over, and allow to sink in. That is a promise of God. And if you agree that that is a staggering promise, well, prepare for your mind to be blown away by the promise of verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
Remember, generous giving is a supernatural grace. So it should be no surprise to us that it's supernaturally resourced by our generous supplier-in-chief, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. Now, why will God supply and increase our store of seed? Well, preachers of the false prosperity gospel want you to believe that generous giving is the guaranteed route to health, wealth, and happiness. But that's because, remember, chapter 2, verse 17, they peddle the word of God for profit. And the only people who tend to get rich in their churches and ministries are the preachers. Because the generous giving of gullible and often very poor people goes to feed their extravagant lifestyles, private jets, luxury villas, and so on. But that's absolutely not why God promises to increase the store of seed to those who give generously. Rather, it's because they've proven to be faithful stewards with so little that they can then be trusted to be good stewards of more. So they can give more. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. See, here's the virtuous circle of generous, cheerful giving. We give, God gives us more, so we give more, and so on and so on, round the circle we go. Just a comment on the word generous. I think we often mistakenly believe in churches that it means big. So in a previous church, I was advised by my fellow elders against confronting and challenging some people who were acting divisively and insisting on getting their own way. The reason not to confront them, because they were, quote, generous givers, by which was meant big hitters. They gave loads of money. But it wasn't generous at all, because it came with conditions and with threats of resignation. And they believed, wrongly as it turned out, that it brought them power and influence. Jesus gives some very helpful insight into what God considers to be generous. Luke 21 As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus looks at the heart. Ultimately, you know, only Jesus knows which of us is generous. Generous giving is a supernatural grace. It must be administered wisely. It's resourced by God. Then finally and briefly, verses 11 to 15, generous giving brings glory to God. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. This is one reason why Jesus teaches us not to announce our giving with trumpets. It's a a hilarious picture, actually, isn't it? Rather, I'm not to let my left hand know what my right hand is doing, which doesn't mean, I think, that giving must be anonymous. That's not always either possible or wise. But I should make it my aim to always give quietly and humbly, and in such a way that all the praise and all the glory and all the honor goes to God, so that your generous giving is recognized as an overflow of the surpassing grace God has given you, so that people will say with Paul, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's obviously Jesus. Generous giving points to Jesus. Last week I was chatting with someone about the YBH 
of preaching. I don't know if you've ever heard of YBH. I think I first learned it from uh, David Jackman at uh, Bible College. It stands for Yes, But How? So Paul urges Christians to be generous givers, but practically, how do we become like that? Well, first, let me suggest that we be honest with ourselves this morning and with God. Ask yourself this question. You don't have to share it with anyone. Just ask yourself this question before God. Where am I on a scale from giving nothing to urgently pleading with the privilege for the privilege of sharing generously? I imagine the majority of us here are somewhere in between those two extremities. And with that as a starting place, let me just throw out a few practical suggestions. Why not commit to pray every day for a month, asking the Lord to transform your heart and all of our hearts here at Above Bar Church so that we all move up the generosity scale? I set myself that challenge this morning as I was reading through the notes. I thought, if you're going to preach it, do it. So I've made a note to remind myself to pray daily for me and for all of us that God will do that. If you currently give nothing at all today, why not commit to giving something regularly? to the local church, to a missionary, to a charity, to an individual you may know who is in need. If you already give regularly, how about increasing your giving across the board? You could be really bold this morning and as an act of faith award all of your giving an above inflation increase. Maybe beyond your ability. But might God want you to take a step of faith and watch as he supernaturally ensures that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you abound in every good work? Could you pledge today to support this really exciting mission opportunity? We've heard about it. At least sign up to come along and, and meet Chris and, and Louise. Could you ask God perhaps to lead you to one individual or one family in this church or in your circle who... Well, it's just in need, and, and you have a, a need that perhaps, they have a need that you could perhaps help meet. Well, here's one. Here's one. I'm challenging myself on this one. I haven't yet implemented it. But UK Budget Week, you two could play Chancellor. Sounds great, doesn't it? Why don't you introduce a self-imposed generosity tax? So that from now on, every time you treat yourself to something you don't really need, you also commit to treat somebody else who's less able to do that for themselves. I hope God gives me the grace to do that because I think that would be a terrific thing to do. A fellow Christian, an unbelieving friend, neighbor, colleague, a fellow student perhaps. Above all, brothers and sisters, let's pray. Let's pray that the Spirit of God will shape us into a people who each give what we decide in our hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully, so that our growing generosity leads to many expressions of thanks to God and please God to many, many unbelievers trusting in his indescribable gift of Jesus.